Hey, I'm Chris Gill. Any questions? Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a wonderful conversation with an old friend, remarkable athlete, and now head of marketing and commercial at World Triathlon, Mr. Chris Gemmel. Chris really dissects what the World Triathlon is trying to do and looking after the sport as a whole and working with all the various arms and and commercial entities, whether that be Super League and Professional Triathlete Organization or Ironman and everybody else and how World Triathlon is to some degree the backbone of the sport and trying to you know really figure out sustainability and viability of the sport going forward and we also dissect chris's own athletic career i ask him what him you know some of his highlights and his, his fondest memories of his career and i think you'd be pleasantly surprised to hear what his career highlights are not what we expected i do share a few of those same highlights so it was a, a bit of fun and we have a lot of laughter and banter in this one i hope you enjoy it as much as i did A little bit of housekeeping before we go on though. First, thank you so much for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you are enjoying the show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd share it on your social platforms, share it with your family, whatever you can do. Help this show keep growing. It is growing. It's just fantastic to be able to share this journey with you. I also want you to go check out Any Question. You can go to anyquestion.com or you can go to my my page at anyquestion.com forward slash Greg Bennett. And you can go check out any question and ask all the experts over there any questions that you want. You can look at all of their answers that they've already been, you know, answered themselves. There's some remarkable people on there at the moment, triathletes, mountain bikers, swimmers, business people, chefs and cooks. There's people over there that you can ask questions to. So go check it out, anyquestion.com forward slash Greg Bennett. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Cheers. All right, today's guest is one of the most influential people in the world of triathlon. His career as an athlete was remarkable with some of the most epic battles to the finishing line we've ever seen. He went to two Olympics, two Commonwealth Games and 110 world triathlon starts from 29 podiums and nine wins. He transitioned from athlete to partnerships and marketing positions within world triathlon, previously known as the International Triathlon Union, and he hasn't looked back. He's now the head of marketing and commercial for world triathlon, and the world triathlon series continues to grow and deliver the greatest professional racing we see consistently in the world. He's been a mate of mine for 20 plus years and we raced each other and we've trained together and he's truly just one of the great icons of the world of triathlon and it's a pleasure and honor to have him join me. So welcome and thank you for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show. Chris Gemmel, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thanks very much for for having me, uh, Greg. It's uh, thank you. Uh, thank you've outspoken yourself in the, in the intro. I don't 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 think I've reached those lofty levels at all. But um, they get bigger yeah, and no. bigger, mate. The intros get bigger and bigger. I know you're too kind. You're too, I, I normally, you know, I'm normally listening to these type of things. You know, like when I'm when I'm out running and trying to keep keep fit and keep up with the world and of what's going on. You're you're a great avenue for that. And I don't remember an intro being 59 seconds long, so Christ. <laughs> You're actually timing that one and having a comparable. <laughs> how, did, how did I fare compared to the others? Yeah, you're too kind, mate. You're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> Some of the people you've had on your on your podcast before me, uh, uh, they, they, need a, they need a couple of minutes. Not. I don't know, mate. I, I don't know. I think you'll find by the end of this conversation, everyone's going to be blown away by what you're doing and what you've done. So um, where are you before we get started? Where are you in the world at the moment? 
Yeah, I'm, 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 in, I'm in Stockholm, Sweden. This has been my home for the last uh, five years mm. here with my wife and my, my little daughter who just turned three. So, um, yeah, that was a, a, a bit of a restart in, in life. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of, a, bit of an interesting. If you'd asked the small self that I was talking to uh, many, many years ago that I'd be living in Sweden in the, with a lack of sunlight and, and some, you know, having to put on 80 layers of clothing every time you go out <laughs> for eight months of the year, then that small self would have said you're having a laugh. Oh, mate, I totally get it. I mean, our, both our lives have tipped upside down. Um, <laughs> you know, at least at least the girl I married was from Florida, and so I'm on the beaches of Florida. I, I didn't feel that. <laughs> that was too bad. And how, how has it been being a dad? It, it flips your world, doesn't it? Look, it's, uh, it's an overstatement in quotes many times before, but it's uh, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, the most rewarding thing. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah, I mean, there's, like I, I say to people, to, to be very frank, uh, I say to people, I, I think I totally underappreciated and underloved my own parents yeah. um, to, to, to many moons of extent because, uh, you know, you just don't, you just don't realize you know, the effort that it requires and the, the daily, everything is just so cool. And, uh, but at the same time, so dark, so hard and uh, you learn so much and it's so happening so quickly and, I just, I just didn't realize that, you know, that my mum and dad did all those things and were enabled me to do all the things I'm doing now. So I learned so much from them and, and just appreciate them even more than I did before. So mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the beauty of it. You're, that's really well said, isn't it? I mean, when you, you, you suddenly become a parent yourself, you're like, wow. <laughs> Firstly, it's brutal just keeping them alive, you know, and then everything else that you got to add on top of it. It's just you suddenly you do. You, you have this enormous appreciation for what everything your, your parents did for you. So, um, mate, well, there's a, there's a lot we want to cover in this one. So, I, you know, I, you're a man of sort of two lives, one from sort of having an incredible athletic career to then sort of going on and heading up sort of one of the world's best series, I think, and doing such a phenomenal job that you're doing there. So, what, let's start, which is probably one of my favorite questions that I, that I love to ask in, on the show. And that's, you know, for you to rewind your clock and, and just sort of tell me when you found your passion for sport and then also specifically triathlon. I really struggled as a kid and I still struggle today. And I see to my daughter, so, so the chromosomes run strong, the DNA is really tight. <laughs> I, I, I really struggle with a bit of ADHD or whatever you wanted to, whatever box you wanted to put it. Mm. put me in I guess as a kid back in those days slightly autistic that type of nature uh, really hard to keep my concentration didn't want to do things for too long it became boring and, and I wanted to move on pretty quickly mm. and, and I think that was hugely uh, difficult for my parents to, to deal with and you know I had two sisters and they had to divide their time between all of us and not just focus their whole entire attention on me but I was a little bit overbearing in that sense so you know just as a general trade I think that's something that's always been in my in my veins and and I think that my, my dad and, and mum came to the conclusion that the easiest way to sort of deal with that energetic tendency of you know a not listening or b not <laughs> responding to requests was um, to put me in every sink and sundry and uh, that normally happened after school which means they got a little bit more time by themselves um, <laughs> and just stretched it all out but uh, and, and I'm being re- I'm being really uh, really candid but at, at the same time you know I, I fully get it now as, as I mentioned before mm. uh, in the opening like I fully understand like you, you create these situations because you actually think you know you, you believe it's the right thing to do and it's the best thing for your kids and 
and and I definitely needed an outlet, and that sport was my outlet in that sense. I I wasn't the smartest at school. I wasn't very interested at school. It it sort of had a bit of disdain to it, mm. in the sense that you know I was like, you know, why do I have to be here? I wish I had that time back again. I would have looked at it very differently. But that was my mm. uh, perspective in, in terms of the early education system, and you know, I I think I fitted more in sort of the that mentality of like. You know, I want to do what I want to do because I think I can do it better. So that was always a little bit hard when you're working in a school environment. Mm. And so, yeah, so from that perspective, I just, you know, I just found sport and I found any sport and any sport I could possibly get my hands on, I was doing. Mm. And that's, uh, I guess, the irony of the thing where I ended up doing triathlon, which I guess was a a sport that was born out of other sports. And you put as many as you possibly could into a combination aside from decathlon. Probably was no... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the natural trajectory for me. <laughs> but you, when you were a rugby player at some point too, did it, I remember we used to yeah. talk, we used to talk R- rugby. R- rugby, rugby, rugby league, soccer, yeah. cricket. I, I gave it all a whirl, you know. Yeah. At tennis, I was half-assed at all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it was better than the average, right? So yeah. then, you know, then I progressed a little bit. That took a bit of time. You know, it was really hard for me, as I mentioned, to focus on something because of, you know, that, that side of, my personality and character. Mm. So, and that became uh, very difficult. So that, you know, this triathlon idea of putting it all together when I knew I could run and I knew I could ride a bike and I could somewhat learn to swim. Uh, I was pretty confident in that. Then it all seemed to make sense. And when I look back on it, of course it makes sense. But at the time it was just, uh, I need more and more and more things to do so that I could just like burn out that energy and, you know, keep myself in a, in a straight line. You're not my first guest on this show that's shared a very similar sort of upbringing and stories. I don't know if you heard Sebastian Kinlay when he came on the show, you know, multiple world champion, 70.3 and Ironman world champion. And and he said, yeah, his parents didn't know what to do with him. He had all this energy, couldn't concentrate exactly, almost verbatim. And uh, he said it came time when he was in the, the table tennis championships in his local town and he lost in the final and he threw the whole table <laughs> and got so upset that his oh. parents were like, we've got to do something more with him. And I think they kind of found the bike or triathlon or whatever it was. I can't remember the whole story. I have to go back and listen to it. And uh, yeah. I said, well, who did you get beaten by? And he said, my brother. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, no, no. I feel for these no, parents no. with you guys. I mean, I wasn't any better. I'm certainly not putting my, but it's like this, this draw of triathlon for people that do have a lot of energy, that do... Uh, need an outlet and, and it tends to be, you know, you go to the sport and you, you, you train for hours and hours and, yeah, it fatigues the kid finally that they actually come home and they're better people. <laughs> no, no, totally. And, and I mean, that's the, that's the irony, like I said before, because, like, at that point in time, you know, the, the sport was just, to catch the catchphrase, born out of innovation. So yeah. it was getting all put together and, and whether it was, you know, from a, a political perspective in terms of what the sports governing bodies were doing or what the, what, you know, clubs were doing or what the mass participation uh, industry was doing, like everybody was guessing, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So like you could go in there and you could make mistake after mistake and no one really, you know, <laughs> could, could say that you were making mistakes <laughs> and you just had to adjust and then go again. Yeah. And I think that was, that was such a beautiful time. Yeah. And, and, and now, okay, it's very different. You know, you have these rock stars that are rock stars because they wanted to be a triathlete from the get-go. Yeah. And that the structure and the framework of the sport and the mass participation industry is just there for them in front of their eyes at a, at a tap of a button. Yeah. 
and that's just such a different world than we were before and that's you know that's the unique part of it and you know that's what makes the sporting history at the end of it mm. what, what what year did you actually start what when did you do your first triathlon how old were you what year was that 1994 90, uh, 95 was sort of like my first time i sort of started jumping in to their sport, yeah, and like everything, I went pretty quickly to the to the top. And and at that point in time, as I mentioned, there was not there was limited structure from I guess an, a, a high performance or a talent identification scenario. Mm. But uh, one famous coach in New Zealand, Dr. John Hallerman, oh, yeah. was I think at the forefront to many many aspects of the sport becoming global as it is now, and was putting in probably which a framework that would walk from a high performance program anywhere in the world. Mm. And I know that the Norwegians even uh, took a, a leaf out of his book uh, very recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's still proving to be working today and managed to, you know, create a situation where they were started funneling some kids in there that had talent. And then of course, some athletes that are a little bit older that were able to then, you know, use them as role models and, and start a system that is fully functioning now as we know. Yeah, I, I think that the New Zealanders and what you guys did, I've got to get John Hellemans on the show actually. He really is quite phenomenal yeah. What, yeah. what he achieved and an incredible athlete in his own right, right? I mean, he, didn't his background, was it cycling more than anything else? Yeah, no, he was triathlete through and through tri- and that team, through, you know, yeah. straight out of Netherlands and then, then he hopped down to, to, to New Zealand and changed his lifestyle and, did a, he was actually a flying doctor in Australia for oh, was he really? for a half a year, a year, and yeah. did his uh, OE there, and then just never left, never left the Southern Hemisphere, and then moved to New Zealand with his wife, and then started a family, but um, entrenched in that way, you know, in that mold. You know, he started businesses, he started concepts, like he just brought his ideology there. He was the type of individual that he knew that you really believed in him and you believed in each other, then it just worked. And that happened for so many people, not only in sport, but uh, across the board. But again, somebody, you always need your, you know, the people that are going to pave the way. And, and he definitely paved the way in New Zealand in that respect with, mm. with, 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 Aaron, with Aaron and so forth as, as an athlete, coach relationship, but just in general, pulling things together and, and starting it and utilizing the systems that are already in present. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a, you guys have quite the history when you look at Rick Wells, Aaron Baker, um, and then obviously Hamish Carter coming through. And, and then it was almost like Bevan Doherty and yourself, you know, you guys were almost two peas in a pod kind of coming along together. Would you say that, you know, you kind of had, I guess you'd say Rick Wells and Aaron Baker, and then Hamish was kind of in between. And then it was yourself and, and Bevan that kind of led the New Zealand charge. That's how I look at it anyway. Maybe I'm being too simple in how the dynamics of New Zealand <laughs> culture and triathlon you're still, work. You're still carrying on the intro, mate. You're still doing the too much of the not. Ah, no, 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 it's just no, how no, I saw no, it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I think there was like, there was these eloquent moments in time, let's say, where like I could finger point a number of bunch of different people that like, you know, changed the trajectory of, of the sport in New Zealand, let's say, but was it was doing it because the systems were in place. And that's, I guess, why I'm somewhat involved in what I'm doing now. Cause it's never, ta- it's never one person per se, but it always takes one person to, mm. to want to lead and to want to, to want to do things, but then sit in the background and not necessarily do things and then want to be standing in front of everyone knowing that, you know, they were the ones that changed the world. And I think there were a lot of people at that time that, you know, they did a lot of things and they just set this sport on the trajectory that it, that it now is at. And, and I can think from an athlete's perspective, I mean, like, you know, there was the, 
was the Rat Pack or the Brat Pack. They used to rename themselves, you know, with Amy and Jamie Hunt. <laughs> That's and true. Paul, Cameron Amy, Brown Jamie Hunt. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, I've missed God, a whole heap. God, God bless Brownie. Still going. Still like going. Week. Brownie, what is yeah. he, 75 uh, now? <laughs> uh, if, I, if I deleted everyone on my Instagram channel, he's the only bloke I would follow. Re- follow. It's, like, it's just like, I just can't believe he's just a legend. <laughs> he like, is, isn't I, he? I just can't even fathom doing that now anymore. Like, it just feels <laughs> like I would just break into a million pieces. But, um, but, you know, so there were there, there were their individuals and then you had Jenny Rose and, like I said, Aaron Baker and even the Williamson. And, oh, of course, you'll always miss out names. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that there was, there's always this cascade of, like, up and down and up and down. And the point is, is that when there's the down, it's not, in my opinion, because there's no one any good coming through. It's because the development pathways are maybe lacking some serious structure or the feeding systems, whether it race uh, races or events or all of these types of things they're not shall we say as prevalent as they were before because there's been a change in direction mm. and so you don't have those like you know you have these peaks and troughs but they they always happen and you know you can't focus on the, the trough yeah yeah so you can't focus on the peak you have to think about okay how do I deal with the troughs and then you you know create the structures around that so that you have this gradual talent identification and gradual development within any high performance pathway and then then you have this amazing athletes coming through all the time but I was just super lucky it was a good time uh, to come through and be a part of the sport that I think you know it just lighted it up mm. at that time around around Athens as you well know being part of that race and and what happened in Sydney and being part of the, the Formula One series and the, you know everything that was the St George series and these things like I have these conversations every day at the moment as we're probably going to touch on with, with, with my friends at Super League and and about what we're going to do and how we're going to like change the trajectory of the sport and, and everything they've done to do that is fantastic. And I say to the, I say to them and the guys there know because many of them are part of it, like of course like Macca and so forth, like we're, we're not rewriting the book. No. <laughs> we're, just, we're just refiling it. And that, that's kind of cool because, you know, it just goes to show how far advanced the Bray brothers, all these people commercially speaking that had a concept back then, how far, you know, you talk about all these fintech things and, you know, what happens, TikTok and Chinese companies selling for millions of dollars. These these people were in the same, in my opinion, these people within our sport were in the same same line. They were coming up with radical ideas that nobody could possibly imagine creating a commercial opportunity over it for entertainment so that people could enjoy the sport more and we could grow a bigger audience. Mm. And people were like, they just couldn't get it. No. <laughs> and I don't, I don't blame them, but it was good. And it, and it shows that it can be done. And, and, and that's what I think we have to focus on in the future. I love all of that. I think, you know, when you think about, um, you know, I'm, I'm a similar generation. I'm a couple of years older than you, but basically coming through, you know, from that early to mid nineties and, the opportunities that we all had, um, like you mentioned, the Bray brothers with the the racing that they put on, and I remember when they signed the contract with um, Tui's Blue, and Tui's Blue were you know beer, beer company in Australia, and Tui's Tui's Blue was their light beer, whatever that meant. I don't know. Uh, um, Anyway, it's non-alcoholic now, mate. Yeah, well, I don't know what it was back then. The I think it was just a little bit less alcohol or something. Anyway, yeah, they, yeah, they, and yeah. they, I remember they just had this huge check that they were given yeah. and they put this series together. They didn't even know much about triathlon. They weren't hardcore triathletes. They were just like, well, what can we make for TV that'll be entertaining? Oh, why don't we grab triathlon and see if we can chop it up and make it into little sprint races, you know, little between commercials 
can we put a race on? And then the athletes can rest while the commercial's on and then we'll start another race. You know, it was, a, it was almost like purely, like you said, it was designed around television. And, you know, for you and I, we turn up on a weekend, we get to have three mini races against the world's greatest athletes, Greg Walsh, Brad Bevan, whoever it was, and we get to race the very best three times on a weekend and then a repeat, you know, for five to seven weekends over the, uh, you know, Australian-New Zealand summer. And then we go head off to the Northern Hemisphere to race the World Cup Series or whatever else we were going to go do. And I kind of look back. The other thing I want to touch on that you were talking about was these peaks and troughs that federations go through. You know, Australia and New Zealand were doing really fantastic and now we see more Europeans and the British and Norwegians. And, and a lot of it, I think it comes down to, and you can correct me if you've got a different opinion, is this the ability to race and race often. Um, and, and I feel like that's what's lacking a little bit when I look at Australia and New Zealand at the moment. They don't have the volume of races that they're, they're getting to see in Europe. Would you agree? It's very clear that the, the shift in power, let's say, uh, will always come from a perspective of like, okay, who is being able to host more events? Why are they able to host more events? Is it for the right reason, the wrong reason, whatever it may be? Mm. But that's absolutely clear. And, and, and also at the time of year two, and I think that there was an enticing perspective always if we go back and take a comparison to back in the day, that triathlon was it was it was already regarded as an all round all year all round sport. Mm. Like now, it feels quite like there's a little bit of seasonal focus. People need to have their time off and so forth. And I fully agree with that. From a not only from a, a physical perspective, from a mental health perspective, you need to have some downtime. But even if you look all the way back, you know we had a series in the Southern Hemisphere in the in the summer, and then people then moved to the French Grand Prix and then Bundesliga, and then shifting into World Cup events throughout the year and then you went back you had you know probably three or four weeks off and then you were starting training again for the next summer yeah. series so it was almost like it was a, a year round and then you had tagged on this, the non-drafting events that started rolling in uh, <laughs> that were trying to grab that Olympic distance uh, look and feel uh, in America late in, late in the summer as well so you had this like whole calendar respect and that's the hardest issue for us I think and I'm speaking from an international federation perspective here Mm. is that balancing that out one is that there needs to be a diversity and inclusion perspective that everybody has the opportunity to host an event the other thing is that everyone has the opportunity to enter it and then lastly that everyone has the opportunity to perform Mm. and so those performance pathways that should be and always are linked directly to either the Paralympic or the Olympic qualification period and so you need to make sure that you can balance out those events. So as far as events to qualify for those major games, everyone has the equal opportunity. Mm. But I think outside of that, private organisers and national governing bodies, of course, if they've got the ability to drive more events in the time that they have their athletes either in their, that region or not, then, of course, that drives the ability for them to have more exposure to more competition. Mm. And it's, of course, clear that in Europe at the moment, there's a greater opportunity there because everybody is even the Australians and the New Zealanders as they did in the past. So nothing's changed in that respect, but the Europeans have just worked it out a little bit more, you know, like the the Grand Prix and the Bundesliga, it's still popular and that's nothing uh, against the French Federation and the, and the, and the DTU. It's just that that is more of a series as much for their own athletes. It is for everybody else. Whereas in the past it was for everyone. So they, they, they were happy to like have everybody come in. Now they want to make sure that it's best for their athletes because they're using it as a performance pathway. Mm. And that's the big change here. Whereas in the past, my feeling is that 
we had these great opportunities to race in, in Australia and New Zealand, but we just considered them great opportunities. But what they really were is they were creating performance pathways for us. Absolutely. And inadvertently, because we had these series, we were a little bit ahead of everybody else. And now what's happened is these other national governing bodies have jumped on and, and realized that that's what they need to do. But what well, we're still competing in them, right? The Southern Hemisphere athletes still want to compete. They still want to race. Mm. So they're still getting the advantage, but it's not necessarily working the, in the opposite direction as it, as it did before. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I think, like I said, I think for us it was just this lucky opportunity that we took advantage of and, and, it, and it made us better athletes because we just got to race often against the best in the world. Um, I, I, I was thinking recently, you know, and I, I, I've had Chris McCormack on the on the podcast and we did talk about the super league and everything he's doing which you mentioned a bit earlier and basically taking that mold from the bray brothers and and that racing and now making it an international series and one of the things i was thinking you know if i was in australia or new zealand i'd be calling maca up and just saying mate what have i got to do to get two or three of your (laughs) your your super league races in my country and, and make sure that i have you know 10 to 15 slots allocated for for my men and women to be able to race in these in these events these super league events but you know I think they're called the arena games, the inside ones that he's got yeah. now. But, yeah. you know, they're being creative. They're being fun. They're allowing athletes to have a lot of fun. Anybody that hasn't gone and seen those events, they should go check it out at Super League. Um, is it just superleague.com or is it going to be on World Triathlon? I don't, I don't know. You can tell yeah, me. No, more, no, 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 no. This, 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 is, this is a good segue because at, at the end of the day, and, and like this is my personal perspective and I'm happy to be, <laughs> I'm happy to light your comments box up mate, at, the, at the bottom wherever they want. But, my, my, my personal perspective is that we belong to a triathlon ecosystem mm-hmm. and we uh, are in it and don't have any more ownership as much as anybody else. Uh, any private organizer putting on any event in the world, period. We all have different roles to play. Mm-hmm. The role of the governing body of the sport is clear. It's clearly mandated in the mission and vision of, of us as an international federation and what we're here to do. But at the moment, the ecosystem is essentially floating and we're all static in our own little part. And for me, this is the thing that is not necessarily working, what needs to change in the future. And that's that all the people that are around this magical circle, let's say that we think that, that we're inside, that we're in the middle of, we need to be talking to everyone, mm-hmm. not just talking about rules and regulations, which is like I said, what we have to do because that's what we do. And, and we will continue to do so because that's our role as the governing body of the sport and to look after our membership. But we also have to consider that there's private organizers and other people that are involved in this ecosystem and how do we form relationships which are not just uh, of, of good nature or just good faith standing, but they actually have some terms and obligations and basically commercial opportunity to basically say to each other, okay, we both want to grow the sport and we want to grow it in different ways of explaining what is growth, but we both want to grow the sport, period. We need to be able to be more interactive with our audience, period. So we need to do things together. And and when I when we started speaking with the guys at Super League, like it's absolutely clear that they did an amazing job on the arena games during a really difficult time for everyone around the world doing whatever they had to do. And, you know, it just it's just and we're still there. <laughs> we're not past this board yet. But but it, it what they did was was in, was incredible in the sense of taking that opportunity and turning around. But what was also clear, and, and the guys would, would fully agree, is that there needed to be an ongoing strategy. And that ongoing strategy required us to sit down and say, okay, what is it? And can we work together 
to, to make it happen? And the answer is, yes, we can, and we're going to. And so that's what we did. And we, we decided, okay, we're in this together because of those thing, points I mentioned before, and, and we're going to make this work. And so, yes, it's, no one's taking any credit away from what Super League's done, done an amazing job. The role that World Triathlon has to play here is to, is to help them make it better. And, and that's what we aim to do. You know, for me, that's just music to my ears, to be honest. I just, I think the fact any good relationship takes a lot of communication and the fact that the Super League and World Triathlon are communicating is fantastic because I think we've seen a lot of rifts in the sport, whether it be Ironman against Challenge versus previously ITU, now World Triathlon. It, it's kind of like, no, 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 no. We're a very small sport, no matter how you look at it. No matter, we're, we're tiny and we don't have room to be not working together and figuring it out. And I guess on that, it's got me thinking of, you know, I had uh, Sam Renouf on the show, the CEO of the Professional Triathlete Organization, probably five or six weeks ago now. He's currently lying in his bed with a sore back because he told me yesterday he's, get, he's getting old and he can't handle cross-country skiing. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are communicating. Yeah. There we go. You've just, you've just, seg- you just segued straight into, you know, what kind of relationship, uh, you know, you guys have with the, the Professional Triathlete Organization because it's been one of my... I, I would like to see World Triathlon and the Professional Triathlete Organization have a closer relationship. I, I had um, Taylor Nib, young young American woman, done very very well last year. Um, obviously, you know, won the grand final in the World Series. Uh, she she just had an amazing string string of about six races in a row, and I think ended up finishing fourth in the PTO. The PTO world rankings and did very well in the world. Anyway. Yes. Yes. But her events that she did in the world triathlon series didn't register with the, with the professional triathlete organization. And I kind of felt like that was a bit of rubbish. I, I feel like, you know, these events, whether it be Olympic games or world championships should matter when you say you're a professional triathlete and, and that's part of what the PTO should be about. So that was a little bit of a, a, a sting that I kind of felt we, we haven't quite figured out. And I'm interested on your thoughts. And if you had those conversations with Sam about how the, what you'd call the Olympic athletes or what do you call them now? Short course athletes, Olympic yeah. athletes, you know, can be rated. In, well, in that. well, no, you're, you're right. You're right. And, and they're triathletes, you know, like, you know, exactly, like, like exactly. And, and, and look, again, to, to state the obvious, like, uh, that's what I was mentioning before about this ecosystem. Like, it's, it's there, you know, any great merger of any very high accredited number on an IPO list is that people are getting investing and investing in it because they see the potential because they have any open communications about what the possibilities are for the future. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what has to start now. And that's what what I've been trying to do and I'm not the only one. There's, there's some like-minded people out there now that, that are seeing that this is what has to happen. And there are, there are other things that, that will continue to happen. And this is not the right or the wrong way, but this is, I think, an element that needs to be, have some focus mm. and attention on it, which is that we don't necessarily need to recreate new wheels, uh, excuse the pun, but there are already existing relationships here and potentially new partnerships that should be formulated in a different way for different reasons that will help grow the sport and bring the audience together and have a more collaborative way to having one voice uh, amongst the, all triathletes out there. Yeah. And and what and those points between how the PTO works and so forth, I mean, that's, like I said, that's for the PTO to do. But we, we, as the International Federation, we're not here to, to tell everybody what they should and shouldn't do. What we're here and should be here doing 
and I believe we are doing that, is understanding what the goals are of these organizations and then considering how we can support either through a wealth of experience that we have and knowledge as far as the transfer systems that we have or providing further education that they might need or also on the opposite side, learning from them and understanding that they might know more than we do and that that's okay and that we have to be, be okay with that. And, and I like enjoy these conversations, not because I go in there with some sort of intrepidation or nervousness that I'm going to be outsmarted. It's just, okay, you go in there with, okay, open mind. What can we learn? What can we do? What can we think? How can we collaborate? Okay. That's a great idea. Let's work on it and, and let's see if it's possible. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this is something that I think is going to be becoming more prevalent going forward. And, um, you know, part of the reason, another reason why, you know, as much as I want, I, I would have loved to see the International Triathlon Union stay around forever. I think it's great history. Uh, all the people that were involved in starting that from Liz McDonald and Lorraine Barnett, and, you know, yeah. the names go on and on and on. As you know, it, we needed a refresh in that sense. Like there will be something coming and this is what it is. And, and, and we needed to say to the audience, okay, we're, we're more than just this governing body. We mean more to the world of this swim, bike and running audience. And so this is, this is what, this is the brand voice we want to put out there. And that's been a big part of starting these and establishing these new potential opportunities within these existing partnerships we have already. I, I, I love the change, by the way. I'm not anti-unions by any means, but I didn't feel like it was representative of what the actual ITU, the International Triathlon Union, it wasn't really a union. And so it didn't make sense to call it that. And so I'm actually... It was needed to change the name. Um, at the end of the day, the legacies that have gone before are still there, are still very much a part of what it is and who it is. It's just, it is just a branding and it's a way that it wants to be seen. Going on that, I'm going to segue a little bit over. Uh, and you were still racing when all this happened. They kind of shifted from World Cups to World Triathlon Series events. And it felt to me at the time that we kind of lost a bit of history when we kind of said the World Triathlon Series events are the biggest and the best and World Cups are now second tier. And I kind of felt like we we kind of took away from the the Brad Bevins of the world and, and, and those that have had such a history of winning World Cups. They didn't have World Triathlon Series events at the time, but immediately we said they're second tier events. And did you feel that there was a little bit of that, that it kind of we, we swept that away, um, that we focused so heavily when we changed the name to World Triathlon Series events rather than World Cups? Yeah, I, I think, look, look. I, I guess I had my foot in both camps at that point in time. Mm. So a number of wins on the World Cup and podium <laughs> and then, you know, heading into the World Triathlon Series and thinking, okay, this is this is super cool for the sport. And I think it was a change that had to happen at that time, as we mentioned before with what the Bray Brothers and so forth. I think it could, I don't think we could have lived in that space much longer mm-hmm. i think that that's very clear to me being on the in- internal ropes of sport politics let's let's say you know you have to you have to move all the time if, if you get stuck a little bit you get stereotyped really quickly within that that audience that political audience so you have to be very very nimble very flexible and i think this was a moment which was probably a risk but one worth taking in in, in, in that respect I think maybe the way it was handled could have been handled differently in that sense, but okay, there's nothing you can do about that other than to say now it'll happen again. 
it'll happen again for sure. At some point in time, it'll happen again. And in some ways, it's already pivoting already with what we do with the series where, look, we're not going to the, the biggest cities uh, anymore. Mm. Not because the biggest cities don't want to host these events because they don't think that they're financially good for their cities, but because the biggest cities in the world have got bigger problems than hosting a triathlon event. Mm. They've got major sustainability issues, major uh, urban environmental issues to handle with their constituents. So they're not, they're not bycasting a, le- a bit of money to just host an international sporting event that has a, you know, uh, not a large carbon footprint, but has a footprint that requires a lot of organizational um, time and, and, mm. and lead up in terms of delivering it. So I think like the whole thing's changing and, and what you get out of an event from commercially speaking, from sponsorship to partnership to media rights and so forth, if it's a well-run, well-delivered event and, and it's happening in some place that you've never heard of before versus if it's a well-run, delivered event and happening in the middle of London, mm. then you know, from, a, from a commercial perspective, if you look down the budget line, there's always going to be a, a win mm. <laughs> if you go to the, the smaller place and then you manage to deliver the, the high-quality event. But you have to find out where you want to be. And that's where we, we are at the moment. We've, take, we've pivoted a little bit that it's like that's not our, our focus, that we're only going to go to tier one city. Mm. And of course, we'd love to go to a tier one city. I'm not denying that. But I'm saying the door is open for tier two and tier three cities and below. And if you want to be a tier four city and you want to go into tier three, then we, we also want to have that conversation with you because we believe that we can help you get there. And, and that's clear. Those relationships are super, super uh, important. And again, using the PTO and, and, and Sam and the collaboration there as well. I mean, how many times did you race in Edmonton, Greg? I'm sure mm. what, nine, ten times, maybe more. Uh, <laughs> and, and we keep going back, right? And we keep going back. And, and now the PTO are there. Mm. We finished with the, with the event there as, 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 the, as the championship finals um, last year during COVID after a delay in 2020. And that was the end of, shall we say, this tenure. But the legacy of the sport and what we have with the community and what the, the, the city know that this sport brings to its community, it lives on again. And it's part of that ecosystem I mentioned before. And now the PTO has got a, a major event here. And the Super League might have a major event here in, in the future. Mm. Like, this, this is what, it, what it's about for me. It's about connecting with an audience and a community and cities and building these legacy platforms that mean that the sport is going to be viable for a long, long time in the future, not only for short times. And that's the big change from, from before in 2009. And the product that, that Christian Tertzger and Absolute brought to the table was revolutionary in that sense. Um, and he's got a lot, to, we've all got a lot to thank for him getting it across the line and convincing the board that that was the way to go. And not just uh, myself, but like the, the current athletes today and the ones in past, but it, it'll happen again. It'll pivot again, and 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 we'll have to make sure that the same the, the same thing still happen. It's like you said earlier, the sport, whether it be in countries, it goes in you know peaks and, and flows and troughs, and and it's like this. Uh, I really feel like now coming out of this COVID era is is kind of. I feel like there's just so much as a professional athlete to put on your calendar now that you can be excited about. It's like if you're at the top of your game right now, you are looking at the World Triathlon Series. You are looking at the Super League. You're looking at the professional triathlete organization, their big championship events. Um, you have events like Clash Endurance, you know, putting on big events in all the speedways around the US. You have 
Iron Man still there, you know, doing doing some great events and challenge, obviously. And, and there's more money. Like I feel like you you can actually make it now if you're performing well and you're at the top of your game. Between the PTO, the the World Triathlon, I just think it's a, an exciting time to be an athlete coming into your form. Would you agree? This is another peak yeah, we're coming into. No, 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 totally, totally. And like we, you know, as I mentioned again. And I know I keep reiterating this, but that's the role within this ecosystem that we all have this part to play in. Yeah. And like, it's, it's the biggest challenge here is, is like organizing a calendar at, at the sport director <laughs> at World Triathlon. Okay, Marcus does his, does his head in <laughs> to try to, to get it because, because it's not for us to say, okay, these events are on this weekend and yeah. no one else can host events. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, there's, there's no rightful passage there. It, everybody has to communicate to try to make it work so that all the athletes have the opportunity, as I mentioned, to, to do the events that they, they possibly can. But the success of this is not that whether or not we, we want to curve more people coming in. It's that the ones that are there can stay and can ex- coexist and can continue to grow. That, that's the measure of the success of the collaboration, not that we're necessarily poning up with one or the other and profiteering it, because we need to make sure that there's a space for everyone somehow and that all events are sustainable and viable and everyone can continue to, to obviously grow the curve in a way which is manageable. The moment that it gets out of control or the pendulum swim from one point to the next, that's when you know you, you create some issues. And for, for us, like you know, if it means, okay, Five years ago, there was no triathlon necessarily uh, hosting of international events in Morocco, let's per se. And then all of a sudden, you know, after a period of time, we do an amount of investment there from our perspective in terms of development pathways within the Continental Federation. I'm being very granular here, but this is the reality. Then, then after that set up, then it's not for World Triathlon to keep staying in there and keep trying to like monopolize it it's okay now, now the the, the, mm. the governing bodies there within africa it's it's your role to to do that and to work with your membership N- not for us to you know carry on that perspective because now we have to go do some more work somewhere else mm. and we have to keep moving but then of course you have to understand national governing bodies that these private organizers will come because now everything's set up and of course they will want to host events there they didn't want to host events before because you couldn't <laughs> now that you can now you have an opportunity commercially to work with them. And it might not be us, but you don't have to have this feeling like, oh, I can't put on an event because it's not World Travel. No, 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 no. That's not why we're here and that's not the role we're here to play. We're not at the front at the end. We're in the back. We're in the back blocks working working away. And it's just that there is a series, as you mentioned, that is, is I guess, marketable and has changed the, the perspective that, like I said, in 2009 started, where we have this product now, which is essentially a, the jewel in the crown, and we have to keep that there. But a lot of the other work, 80% of the other work is, is done in the background. There's so many great series coming up. And you and I were both around with the high V triathlon. We, we both saw the Lifetime Fitness series. We, we, we see these events, these series come along. And, and I almost feel like there's a bit of a seven-year itch that goes on with most of them. And I've always been an advocate for when something really amazing comes on, jump on board as quick as you can and, and enjoy it as much <laughs> as you can. Because, but you, you said then, you know, having something that's, you know, sustainable and viable. When, when you think of World Triathlon's role in, in helping these potential series be sustainable and viable, how do you do that? What do you mean by that? So I, I guess let, let, let's take let's take the arena games as a, as a example, and 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 I'm like I'm speaking on behalf of the guys, but I'm sure that I could share some 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 perspective there. 
and that in that regard and it's like of course there was an amazing product it was so cool and I just really really loved it and but okay there's only we don't have 20 lane pools or 30 lane pools mm-hmm. or 50 lane pools so there had to be some sort of a pivot to how can we make this more so that more athletes have the opportunity to come because look let's face it if we're going to take it all the way to where we want to take it and it can potentially be something that is classified as as the esport uh, uh, scenario and we get into the Olympic movement and they push you really hard, then of course we have to have a product that more than 10 people can enter or that more than 15 people can have an invite to. So we had to create a system where we could like think about how we could develop the product sideways rather than just continually stream it from the middle and it just become more and more equitable from that perspective. It was almost like sitting down and saying, okay, how do we work this where we get more national governing bodies involved, we get more host cities involved, we get more opportunity to be agnostic in terms of the bid documents and the way that this event will work in the future. Commercially speaking, Super League have uh, are leading on that front in terms of how they're evaluating their rights. We don't have to, we don't have to touch that. Like that's fantastic. The guys are doing amazing work. Maybe we can create the structure, which we know works really well, which is creating these pathways on how we can formalize what is a qualification process and how you enter and how everyone has the equal and opportunity to enter and I think this is this is an example of like we're building it out versus we're taking it somewhere where we're commercially speaking world triathlon has not necessarily got the skill set to do it uh, because we don't have the, the the bandwidth or the the workforce you know the marketing department commercial and marketing department of world triathlon is very small two years ago three years ago we didn't even have a budget so, you know, like it, it's a complete pivot, as I mentioned, in terms of thinking because the the rights of those of the World Triathlon Championship Series is now with World Triathlon, whereas before it was, was with the commercial partner. We now have those, which means we have to deliver them to our partners and our stakeholders and our members. And same thing with these existing partnerships that are now blossoming into not only a standing agreement of support and creating knowledge and, and a transfer of knowledge from an operational perspective, but looking at opportunities to create additional revenue streams so that we can grow the sport and, and connect with our audience more clearly. And so there, of course, we need to be able to get help and assistance. And we have these people out there that are, that are set up like that, like a business, very clear, like a business. We're not a business. We're a non-for-profit organization, but we can have a business mindset. We can have a business attitude. We can talk to our partners and say, share us your knowledge because we know you have it. And this, this is just a different approach. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that idea that you guys, I like how you're framing where World Triathlon sits because I think for a lot of us, you, you, you know, I haven't had it explained to me this way you have. And so it's kind of, I see it now. I can see it. I think you said a bit earlier, you know, we're more in the, we're at the back end of the product. The product's up front, it's in your face. These are all the different commercial entities that are putting on events. But churning the wheels churning in the background that are keeping everything sort of running together so we can have a sustainable and viable future world triathlon is going to pick up that in the background and i think that's that's a refreshing way to look at it because i think you know like i said i'm excited about the the future of all these events i hope super leagues around for a long time i hope the the pto is around for a long time even events like you know clash endurance like i mentioned you know there there's a lot they're of they're going to be around forever they're going to be around forever Greg. That, you know what i mean like that's the goal that's right? the it's goal like i like around, that around for a long time it's like okay okay i reframe i reframe yeah, yeah. i'm selling they're, myself they're short. Be around forever <laughs> yeah and, and like and, and yourself you know like you're a product this podcast and you as an individual 
and, and Laura and your family, you're a product of this, this sport and this mentality that you mentioned at the start of, the, of our conversation, which is, you know, just getting into things and just like, you know, get into it while it's going well, because that's what our sport has been all about. Like mm. this born of innovation. And like, if you can't move, then, you know, you just get stuck as I mentioned also before about people see you're not moving. So everyone, everyone might say, and you know, this rumor mill is circling all the time, which is another fantastic part about any, anything that goes along around in this world. But they're stoking the rumor mill and saying, oh, you, you, you guys are going to go to sprint distance. Yeah, it's not about going to sprint distance. <laughs> it's about adding sprint distance. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a totally different conversation. We're not going to change Olympic for sprint. We don't want to lessen the hours of, shall we say, time that the athlete, who I, who I think, and I'm sure you would agree, are some of the fittest athletes on the world and also some of the best role models for kids in general in the world. 100%. I don't want, I, I don't want them on television less. <laughs> I want them on television more. <laughs> and, so, and so like every time I hear these types of conversations, I'm like, no, 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 no. Hang on a second. It's, it's not about switching. It's about yeah. adding. And adding requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of lobbying. It requires a lot of process. It requires a lot of investment. And it starts from the bottom. And you have to start these things. And people had said, would you do sprint distance in, in 2001? Then, of course, everybody would have said no. If people had said, would you do a paratriathlon in, in 2010? People would have said no. If people would have said, would you do mixed relay in, in, in 2012? People would have said no. But they're all happening, right? It took a long time, but, but they're all happening. Mm. Same thing will happen with the, with the, with the arena games and esports and and what the PTI are doing with the Collins Cup. They're, they're all new ventures, but we just have to get off this horse of expecting that it's going to go from one to 100 in, in one year. Like it, it takes time to get the proof of concept right. It takes time to get the commerciality, the commercial viability right. And of course, to get that growth in the audience sustainable so that we don't just create something we, we know that we can't deliver from one, from one year to the next. Gee, it's been a journey when you, when you put it like that, you know, just looking at all the things that have happened and, uh, you know, it, it, it's fun to have been on the ride, right? I mean, it's a roller coaster and we've had some incredible ups and downs and loop-de-loops and it's, it's been fun to watch the sport evolve. Um, you know, I think I was in a few years before you in the mid-80s there and just to see where it's come from. And it's exciting to hear the enthusiasm in your voice and, you know, and to have had Sam Renouf, like I said, and be involved, you know, I'm involved with a few of the events in the announcing side just for a bit of fun as well. And it, it, it's, there's a great energy that's going on. I guess I want to shift gear just a little bit because we kind of, we kind of went straight into the business mode and we didn't really get to look at your career as much as I'd hoped to. And I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to, <laughs> I avoid, I avoid no, it. No, 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 because there's some really great, great, uh, you know, performances. And I guess, well, let's, let me keep it this. I'll, I'll let you decide. So how about you just share some of your fondest memories of your athletic career? Fondest memories of my athletic career. Yeah, things that stand <laughs> out not, to you. They, they, they don't have to be wins. They yeah. could be any moments. These are real moments, which, uh, I try not to get emotional here, but, <laughs> but these are, um, these are when like life was not necessarily going the way that I thought it should go. <laughs> mm, mm. And, and I've learned that over time, you know, like but mostly to the, to my, to the, my own detriment and to my own fault. Like, you know, I just was, I was, I just wasn't looking through the right glasses, through the right lens. And, 
you know, that comes with age and some people just take a little bit longer to work that out. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And, and I, I, I come back to these times where people say, oh, you know, like oh, you're an Olympian and so forth. And that must've been amazing. And it was, it was a dream of mine. And of course, you know, you defined those 55, 60 athletes on the start line. And only three of them walk away with their finishes, <laughs> as you well know. Everybody goes <laughs> home with one, their tail one between one their legs. Removed. Yeah, <laughs> one spot removed and you might as well be 55th. No, I know, I know. Shut up. At all. Are, 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 you, are you pointing that out to me just because I'm sitting here with a fourth? <laughs> we don't have to lean so hard on that one, do we? <laughs> but but I, 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 for what for, for whatever reason, and I'm sure that there are similar stories out here, but I have somewhat been involved and really, really closely involved with like a lot of successful campaigns, mm, mm. <laughs> but yet I haven't had the success myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that what I learned from all of that is, and, and you talk about best memories, is that that's what I look back on now. I look back on that, like some people don't even get the chance to do that. Like they walk away with the, from the Olympic Games with like disappointment, sadness, and bitterness. And I had that, right? I had that like in, in Beijing. I had that in Athens. I had that. But at the same time, I was faced with this emotional roller coaster of feeling so disappointed that I wasn't able to be there and race for whatever reason be it my own or, or not. And then and then I was sitting next to some, some guy with that had won the Olympic medal, gold or silver. And I'm like, okay, it's not that bad. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I could be on the other side of the world mm. and, and never even see this. So I'm getting to see it, you know, like I'm getting to feel it. Like I'm so happy for them. Mm. And so that is, ironically, that situation is the, the most memory. And I have these two moments. One moment is, is that, uh, you know, I went through the, the build-up, as you well know, with, with Bevan in 2004, essentially as his training partner and with mm-hmm. the reserve and, you know, was every day praying that something might happen to them, but of course <laughs> didn't want it to, to happen to them because I felt like I was in the best shape of my life. Yeah. I, I could keep up with that guy every day. I must be must be going okay, right? Yeah. But, but then, you know, it, it wasn't to be. So then you play the part. I was the commentator. It was fantastic. And then Bevan and Hamish came back to do the interview afterwards. And I just have this memory of them just walking through with these medals and like, you know, it just had happened. It was so fresh. Yet I was so linked, but so far away at that moment. But then all of a sudden I felt like, okay, I was, they, it was an acknowledgement that I was like part of it in some way. Mm. Like it, it didn't have, nothing had to be said. It was clear. Bevan just gave me a big hug and that was it. Like I, I remember this hug, very, very clearly. And, and that was like a special moment because of course we're in on the journey with him and it was success for him and not for me, but as a, as a general principle, it was like, it was a journey. And then I thought to myself, okay, that's never going to happen again. <laughs> right? You know, I want that part of it. So you go the whole way building up to Beijing, everything's going great. You know, lead up, last lead up event, you, you come second and you, feel like you could have done more, but you didn't want to pull out all the cards. You're three, you're, you're basically 16 days away from the games and then you have an accident. And then I'm like, okay, this same thing again, like this is, this is ridiculous. And at that point in time for most people that won't know, but, uh, I was living with, um, with my girlfriend at the time, Anya Didma, and she was an amazing athlete her, herself. And like, she was an inspiration for me. And I still, to this day, don't, you know, didn't appreciate it enough what I learned from her during our relationship. But I was also living with Jan and Jan was living, we were living together in a flat for, for three and a half years during this build up. 
And, you know, we were training day in, day out, not all the time. And even back then, Jan was super meticulous, did his own thing. I also did my own thing. But then we would end up training together and doing certain things. And we, the day before we left, we had a, a coffee downstairs. And he's like, okay, when we come back, we'll, we'll, we'll show each other some metal. You know, a bit <laughs> of a joke. A bit of a joke, but, yeah. like, you know, we both wanted it. And to be perfectly frank, and he, he, he knows it, I, I, didn't think he could, I didn't think he'd get a medal. But of course, I thought myself I would get one. <laughs> he probably was thinking, probably thinking the other way around. But like, you know, just in terms of like form and so forth, like, oh yeah, he wasn't the one I would have been looking at. But then heading into the race, and then of course, things happening in the way it happened, and then Jan winning the gold medal, and then we both flew back on the plane, a uh, different flight, and then we arrived, and we were the next, there was like three days, four days, because he flew back straight away, obviously, mm. to, to get the, the applauded from, from the German public, rightfully so. And, and there it was, that moment. <laughs> We're sitting down at the coffee machine. His first ever love for coffee, I think, came from this rocket coffee machine. Yeah. And, and we sit in there making it. And just like we said, and the, the gold medal is just sitting on the table. And I'm like, <laughs> what, what type of a nasty dream am I in these last four years? Like, this is incredible. Like, I just can't, I can't do this in, like, it's through my head. And so I was on an emotional low, like, you know, and I know that. And I know, and, and, and I've spoken openly to friends about it. Like, it was a tough time for me and I didn't handle it well. And, and I needed to, to have the support of friends around me to, to get through it. And that's something that I'm just like so aware of now with, with athletes these days, making sure that they, they look after themselves, not just worry about how well they do. Mm. And then there came a time, you know, like three days later, and, and same sort of thing, just, just an embrace, a hug. And I remember these two things, the most important about my career. And that's really weird because it's not about the sport. No, no. At the moment, I it's about these lowest points where all of a sudden the people and the relationships that you met through these, through the sport, they actually got me out of it. And I got, a, I, I got, a, I got a, a text from my coach at the time, uh, John Hellerman, and he was sitting in a, in a Jaguar, <laughs> really, a really old Jaguar, which he'd like spent a bit of money on and purchased. It had a sunroof and he was, someone had taken a photo of him popping out the top of the sunroof and he had his fingers in the air waving with expletives saying, get stuffed Olympics. I mean, stuffed is not the word he used, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm using that one on the podcast. <laughs> and, and, and he just said all summed it up for me, you know, like I just like, it had driven everything into that point in time, but it hadn't worked out at all how I had hoped it was, but yet just meters away from me, it had worked out exactly how that individual had wanted. And I'd been there every single day. So for that space of nine to 10 years, I'd lived that glory, but from, <laughs> from inside the bubble, but not for me. And that's, that's something I remember very, very, very clearly and, and, and have fond memories about it because it, it, it meant that, you know, when I have those times and people have them every now and then, you know, you just need to, you know, remember that you, remember you've got friends out there that will always support you. Mate, it's so well said. And I, it's kind of, su- I'm surprised this is the first time I've kind of heard this from you because it's, somebody asked me once, you know, Greg, you know, what, what, what are some of your career highlights? A bit like I asked you and, and I said to them, actually, Sydney Olympics. 
And I said, because it was the most bittersweet time in my life. I said, you know, I was left off a bit like your story. I was left off the the team. It was a bit of a, a bit of a bit of court battle and everything else. And then a, a young friend of mine, who was almost like my my younger brother, said, "Hey, Greg, why don't you help me prepare and come over to Canada and help me get ready for the games?" And long story short, you know, that was Simon Whitfield and. He went off to win the Olympic gold. It was his first big win. I'm sitting in the stands as a reserve, as you were, you know, in Athens. And and he comes off the dais and he actually had the gold medal. And this is before uh, 9-11. So, you know, they could be a bit more free when they got off the dais. And he, he ran up to the stadium where I was and put the medal around the neck and said, this is yours. And it was like that brotherly love like you had with Bev and, you know, and Hamish, I'm sure, that you, you trained with and were a part of the, that journey and I, for me, it was such a career highlight. It wasn't my win. It wasn't my, the, the final outcome wasn't mine, but the journey was mine. And, and I think hindsight's so great for where we're at now that you realize the destination's only a little tiny piece of it, but the journey of getting to where you want to get to is the really special thing that you got to have. You and Bev, and I remember you guys training in Victoria, Canada, and you guys were were brothers in arms. You were side by side in everything you did. Um, and you, not just that camp. I mean, you guys were side by side forever, which makes that, oh, can I segue over to <clears throat> the uh, YouTube? 9.2 million views. There's, anybody that hasn't seen the sprint with Chris Gemmell and <laughs> Bevan Doherty, you know? 2005, <laughs> New Plymouth World Cup. Go check it out. 9.2 million views on YouTube. Um, you know, it, it is one of the all-time sprints, but it's also between two of the you know the closest brothers in arms we've seen in our sport that sort of went at each other trained together and just uh that was just a, a really sp- i had to make sure we mentioned that i know i know you came second i know you came second but it is an all-time <laughs> no, no, sprint. no but but again it, it, it's that it's that um scenario that i've already mentioned it's like you know like i i was uh, um sometimes i just i gave so much energy away to to other people that i that i didn't focus enough on the people that I should have been spending the energy on. And one of them was, was myself uh, in terms of like probably having to be a little bit more selfish mm. uh, to be a better athlete. And like, okay, I'm just, you know, I think part of what you do when you learn and grow is that you have to accept that you made some mistakes. And that was a mistake of mine. It was pointed out by other people. And I said, no, 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 that, 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 that's not going to affect it. But in the long run, in terms of like judging results, it probably was a thing. Am I, am I disappointed that I, didn't manage that way. Then not, not really, but like that's what I would say to a younger version of myself. I'd like, okay, you can't, you can't help that person. You can't do that thing. And all the time when I thought I was helping, probably I wasn't helping at all. I just thought that I was doing good things, but I just wasn't focusing on myself and being like really selfish about what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And these guys were, and they were an example and product of, of, of what they achieved. Mm-hmm. And, and this scenario is classic because me and Bevan, of course, trained many, many times. We had many, many, many sprints against each other and training at any point in time. And most of the time, like if it came down to like a short sprint, like I could, I could manage it, right? But if it was like a drawn out sprint or something that went for a very long time, then yeah, he got me every time because he just had that strength versus me had that speed. And, and this was just, again, me making another mistake when I decided I could have just waited and waited and waited until the last minute. But, of course, I decided to, to go one <laughs> kilo, no, nearly, nearly 350 metres out. Yeah, 350 <laughs> metres out. Instead of, instead of, you know, waiting until the last 100 metres, like what he did, 
when the blue carpet started. No, it's, I loved it, mate. I just got rolled. I loved it. But there's even better story back in back in story to that one is that like I, I like I, I think that there's some special athletes out there like they have this innate ability which is um you know here's my health disclaimer um which is that you know they just have the ability to not the switch goes on okay you have to slow down now son you have to slow down now lady excuse me miss you have to slow down excuse me and and you do right your body just it has an override like it's not built to do that but there's an electrical circuit that's present in some that they just they just override it i mean ali Brownlee is oh, yeah. a case in point, you know, like the ability to just go deeper than everybody else. And Christian has that as well, right? Uh, as of recent. And Flora has that, and, you know, and all, all the greats in the past have had it. And what I what I think is, is classic is like, I never really felt like I, I had that. I always felt like, okay, when it get, got too hard, I always like backed off a little bit. Or when I won races, I could have gone harder. I always crossed the line and felt so, you know, quite fresh because it was a really good day, right? I never really got to the point where I won a race and fell over or <laughs> can't remember the last 500 metres. Yeah. But that race is the only race that I was lying on the medical table afterwards <laughs> and receiving thing and my dad was there. He said to me that I said to him, well, like, how did you do? And I said, how was that, Dad? That was great because it was at home as yeah. most People might not realise I was in, in New Zealand, and that was pretty big at the time. And I said, "How was that? Winning a race at home—that's so cool!" And Dad was like standing there, he's like, "You don't win, mate." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I was like looking at him, and I was like, I was half passed out. I was like, yeah, what are you talking about? Of course I won, you know. <laughs> I was, I was wow. miles ahead. Wow, you know? <laughs> wow, miles ahead. So you know, like I just went too deep and." Just didn't even remember what happened. <laughs> That's awesome. See, those are those are great memories to have too. I I also one one of the joys I have in doing this show is is the homework and and doing you know my homework to talk to you today was to basically look at cool you know past videos of races and, and, and everything else and go through results. And, and so it was a real joy to come across some of these ones. And what I actually was, when I looked at your race, you won the World Cup in um, in Rhodes and you got uh-huh. away. Announcing the person behind me. You got away <laughs> with a very young Alistair Brownlee who ends up going to win, you know, two yeah. Olympic golds in 2012 and 2016. And this was way back in 2007. You won that race. You outran him. <laughs> and and I was like, oh, look at that! I, I just I enjoy when I do some yeah. homework. Look, look at that! Uh, look at look at the look at the finishing photo. Yeah, and and look, I'm I'm I'm, I'm no oracle, <laughs> that's for sure. But look at the finishing photo. And I had raced Ali three weeks before in a French Grand Prix race, so look, we knew his trajectory already. Yeah, but and I, I wasn't putting myself. I'm not putting myself on that situation where I was saying I was the best in the world at any point in time because I wasn't. But I felt like I could match it with the best in the world yeah, at point in time and that you could, that yeah. career. Yeah, yeah. And at that point in time, I felt like I knew going into that race, I was in good fitness. Things happened that went my way. I, I made sure that it was hard at the point in time, and I got away with the right people. And throughout that whole 10k, running with Ali, I think I offered him water three times at an at an aid station. <laughs> he just knocked it out of my hand, like. <laughs> the hell are you doing what do you think this is like some sort of charity that i'm just running by you to keep you company to make you look you know so that you've got someone to talk to for the next 10 kilometers 
because I had this like attitude of like, you know, at that point in time, like, okay, I'm going to beat you. I want you to get second, you know, yeah, yeah. which was, you know, like a defeatist approach, which I'm sure he would laugh about. And I have talked to him about when we, we climbed the mountain one day in, in, in Cape Town, <laughs> we went up Tabletop Mountain. That, that, that story of that scenario was just so funny. And when I look back on it now, like I was absolutely convinced with like 2K to go, I was going to win the race. But I was also convinced in my head that I don't think anyone's going to beat this kid in many years to come. Yeah. I think he's going to win everything because I just got this feeling about him that was thing. And I, I remember just coming around the corner and just feeling like I had to, you know, announce this, <laughs> announce this, this guy because you know, like, you've got to hear more about this guy. Yeah. <laughs> but- and I actually, I actually have that photo in, in downstairs because like, it was one of the fond memories for me. Like I just remember, like it was like it was such a cool little moment, like just running around Greece in the back road to Greece and you know, trying to be the nice guy again, but like at the same time, like, this kid was like, oh, I'm just going to beat you. Yeah. Like, what, you, you, you. By giving me this water, I'm going to beat you. And <laughs> in, the, in the end, he didn't beat me, but she beat me more times than I even got close to him. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just, just that, that raw competitiveness right he was a young kid at that point but he, he just he didn't want handouts he didn't want he didn't want water he's like he's there to smash you there was like this this inner belief he described it on the show once he said it wasn't confidence i just there was a deep inner belief oh it's a mentality yeah it's a, it's a win it's a, it's a winning mentality yeah and that is like that high performance model where you see and you know the greats have it and they will continue to have it. And, you know, and look, look at what Christian's doing in that regard or what he did this year. And that's not to take anything away from Gustav or what Flora has done, which I think is just oh, Flora. next level. Unbelievable. If I'm going to be really honest, which I think is next level because she's diverse mm. across the board, not only distances, but like, you know, with exterior and short, you know, she came to Montreal and she raced the eliminator format. Then she went, and did the, the, the grand final at Olympic distance. And then she went to Super League and did the, you know, and, and she won all of them yeah. every single time. Where, and even Christian is jumping around a distance, but not necessarily winning in Super League because he was focusing his attention rightfully so on doing the other things proper. But what, what I'm saying is they go in there with just this winning mentality, a group behind them which has been solely focused on achieving that high performance values and those high performance goals mm. that, that's the role of the people around them that's the role of that network and and that's why longer distance and and you know it's, i think it's not arguable in that sense is it's becoming more fast it's becoming faster it's becoming more um competitive because the athletes that are moving there or going through that pathway are coming from a environment and culture that are it has a performance and development education system around it from the get-go mm. because these are now being established, as I mentioned, in the back in the back side of everything that's going on, these pathways are being created. So then they pop out at the end, and yes, they, Christian goes to, to Cosimel with, with four people, a massage therapist and a sports scientist and whatever. I'm not saying you have four people there, but in terms of like he had a group of people there. Jan doesn't go anywhere by himself. You know, it's not that I'm, I'm here just for, for fun and shits and giggles, right? I'm here because this is a serious job. It is my profession. I come from the high performance culture and I'm not st- taking a backward step. I'm going to do everything to make sure that I can deliver on the day. And that's, that's super, I think, 
uh, something that's like so uh, going to be the, the, the trajectory is just going to continue going like that because more and more athletes will move from this high performance culture uh, that they've been involved in and then move into the longer distances or, or come from Super League and come into the sport quicker because they get into the shorter distances. So you know, this mentality of high performance is just going, it's going out to the left and out to the right and everyone's just getting, uh, all the races are getting more competitive and it's becoming more of an entertainment across the board and that's just good for the sport. I mean, that, that's well said. I mean, we've seen it, haven't we, time and time again, whether it's sort of Chris McCormack, you know, he, he stepping up to Ironman, took him a few times to get Kona right, but he, he definitely made a splash, you know, when he sort of left the, the, the shorter course racing and went along. We definitely saw it when Jan Fredino, you know, decided to change gears after the 2012 Olympics and, and go to long course. And, and yeah, now we're seeing, you know, guys like Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden and the Norwegians that are able to go Olympics to Cozumel, you know. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary that we're seeing this Olympics to Ironman and then backwards and forwards like they're being able to do. Um, you mentioned Flora Duffy. It, it's one of those, I don't think we celebrate Flora quite enough. I've had her on the show and I certainly did celebrate it, but I think in general... Because Flora doesn't celebrate Flora. No, exactly. She's not... Like- She's not out as there. As much as people would like her to celebrate. And that's because that's why, that's why she's, she's lovely and endearing because Flora just wants to be Flora. Yeah. I don't know, you know, like, that, that, uh, like I love, love it a bitch in that regard. Like, and, and everyone has the opportunity and right to be who they want to be. Of you course, know, I, I'm sure course. you're watching the Australian Open with Ash Barty mm. at the moment. Like, she's obviously not Nick Curious, is she? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, she's, everyone's looking for a different way of connecting with people. And yeah. some people just want to be who they are. Yeah. And you have to be able to accept that. And, you know, that also comes with what, what I do now. You know, you talk with one person one way, you have to talk to another person another completely different way because, you know, of the way they are and what they expect out of the conversation. But that's, that's the reality mm. of, the, of the individuals you're talking to. And, and yes, yeah, she, she is a, she's a, she's a phenom. But again, somebody that's like immersed herself in high performance culture, got a really good team around her, listened, worked hard, asked the questions, got the answers and delivered. And, mm. and, and even outside, like, I know, like, I know you, you know, you know, you've had Lucy Charles on a few times maybe, but she's another one. Like people can say, Oh, she just came from triathlon. She just got into triathlon and now she's so good. Yeah. But, she was a professional athlete in another sport for a very, very long time. And she was involved around a performance culture in that sport. So she just took those things that she knew and she just transferred them across. She wasn't uh, working full time as, uh, as somewhere and, and as an age group athlete and then just decided to be a professional. You know, like there's a, there's a pathway to this and, and we're involved in that as the governing body of the sport. Of course, specifically at the, at, the, at the lower levels in terms of the development and the education pathway, but it's, that's where it all starts from, not, not the finessing at the top. The finessing at the top comes from the athletes and the people they choose to have around them, you know, like we mentioned before, this winning mentality, some have, some don't have, but that's, that's where all of the, you know, that's where all of the plaudits come, but the work is far down below when no one sees. You're right. There's, and, and they have that high performance mentality and it's drilled into them from a young age. I mean, you do see it a lot with the swimmers, actually. I think the swimming culture has that a lot, that they, they're used to training hard, going for wins. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned Lucy Charles Barkley. You know, she's definitely somebody that's come on and another one that's lifting the sport, another gear again. Um, 
you know, mate, I could go on. You and I could have beers and chat for hours and hours on all of this stuff. Um, I'm absolutely love this. Been enthralled with the whole conversation. <laughs> it has just been fantastic to catch up. I I really love the idea that we both have this same sort of when we think about some of our highlight memories of our our careers that we both have very similar highlight reels. Um, you know, that was actually not our wins. It was our our best mates, our brothers in arms that went on and took the victories, but we were a part of those journeys. I think that's a really cool thing that we both share. Um, so what's, what's next for you going forward? You know, it's the start of 2022, we, a big year ahead. I mean, both personally and, and professionally, I guess it'd be nice to know what you got planned for the year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like, obviously, like I said, I'm, I'm here in Stockholm, um, with my wife and my, my little girl. And that's, that's our, that's our home for, for now. We, we, got the roots down here so look at this if, if, if opportunities come up look as I mentioned before like I have to be ready to pivot but but that's where I, where, my, where the focus lies at the moment and just really happy and and look this COVID thing has been a bit of a disaster for, oh, yeah. for, for many many reasons but actually and <laughs> I said to myself the other day I w- wouldn't change it for the world for the one thing that was enabled me to do and that spend more time with Zoe mm. because I was just home more and I wasn't, I wasn't traveling. My races weren't on. Of course, I wish they were from the athlete's perspective, but from my side, if I'm being really honest, um, I just got to spend more time with her. I saw her grow up from, you know, from just after a year to nearly three years where limited disruption and mm. to a point, you know, I think before we, we had the, the event and um, uh, before we had the event in Yokohama, I hadn't been anywhere on a plane for 16 months. So like, just every single day being with her. Like I just could never have imagined that even if I wanted it before the pandemic. So <laughs> I, I somehow I'm thinking, thinking that scenario, of course I don't want, wish that we, the world never had to go through it, but it has definitely shed some light on some, some things for me. And, and that's something that's been, that's been super great. So that's something that I kind of want to make sure that carries on. Like even though if the world starts being a little bit more normalized, I want to make sure that I can still, Spend as much time with with Zoe and watching her grow up and with the family and so forth. So that's a big a big focus. And then, as as you know, like of course, Marisol has done some amazing things for for World Triathlon, and she's in her last term as the as the president. And there will be a new president. That's absolutely clear by the constitution of this of the governing body of, of triathlon and World Triathlon. And after the Paris Olympics in 2024, and what that may look like, I don't know. And that'll be an interesting situation. And I'll be interested to, to sort of get a gauge on that. But at the moment, of course, the, the new strategic plan that is going to be, is going to be uh, made published, I think, in a couple of weeks' time. Like, it's a, it's a bit of a clear clear move from our side to sort of, you know, try, try to uh, bring everyone more together, as I mentioned before, and, and, and sort of create those partnerships in a more formal way than we have in the past and look at more opportunities commercially. Of course, that then falls a little bit more on me, but that's something that I'm really looking forward to and we're growing our team um, pretty rapidly in that sense. And yeah, the the, the, the guys and the, the, the girls that are now our World Triathlon team, they do a fantastic job and I'm just honoured to work with them and, you know, I learn from them every day. And it's just a, it's, it's a real pleasure to be working in a sport that I love so much and um, everything that it gave me up until this point in time has just been wonderful well mate the sport's all the better for having you it's been it's been really great to chat and i couldn't agree with you more by the way with the embracing the opportunity of the covid lockdown and getting to spend it with our kids um and the other thing i found also just to add to kind of what you were saying getting to you know spend time with zoe and for me you know sydney and archer it was kind of i remember walking down a street once 
once and, and actually looking at the flowers and, and this is very, and going, I can't, <laughs> I can't go anywhere. I can't plan anything in the future, which is two things that I'm always doing a bit like you, you always sort of planning, the, <laughs> planning the future and you're going somewhere. And I was like, I can only just be, and it was the first time in my life I felt like I was truly present in a moment, you know, without forward thinking, without, and I was like, huh, it's kind of a, in a strange way, it was a gift to some of us to be able to go, look, just be still and be present and, and you know, be grateful for what you actually do have right in front of you. And it was kind of like, ah, oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, like, I mean, Zoe's speaking, speaking Swedish and speaking English and she's switching between uh, you know, like, and that just blows my mind. I mean, wow. I, I, I've been lived in so many countries, and I'm just such a failure on learning languages. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit disappointing, to be honest. So now, my now I'm getting lessons from my three year old um, on how to speak Swedish, which is a little bit heartwarming at the same time. But um, That's but awesome. um, it's quite ironic when I say things wrong, and she just corrects me. Yeah. But uh, but then when she just pivots and says one says something to to to, to Corinne in, in Swedish and then says something to me in English and I'm like I'm like ah oh, that's just that's amazing like that is amazing I can't even I can't even comprehend that and it's like emotional stuff right you yeah. know it's like how can a three year old be emotive but, <laughs> but yeah they can and that's oh, pretty cool she is going to work you mate <laughs> She's going to have you wrapped around a little I'm, finger. I'm done, mate. <laughs> I've been far, far, yeah, I'm far removed already. Chris, this has been this has been really wonderful to catch up, mate. I really appreciate it. It's just been really, truly delightful. So thanks for coming on and you know spending your your afternoon um, with me when you could be, I'm sure you could be doing other things. So I, I appreciate it. No, no, no. Thanks so much for having me, mate. And. Um, uh, and, and an avid listener, long-time listener. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> right from the get-go. Oh, great. Thanks, mate. I even had to start up a rival podcast, you know, the World Triathlon <laughs> Podcast, you know. I had to start that up. I was like, that, that Greg Bennett guy, he's, he's taking everything. No, you no, know, I, you know I'm I not a triathlon before, podcast. I am not a, I am not a triathlon podcast, Chris. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing you and putting you in the wrong box. <laughs> no, I'm kind of like uh, the low-hanging fruit has been triathlon, no doubt. Triathletes and all my mates of the world's greatest triathletes. So I was kind of like, well, I'll start there, mate. Fantastic. Um, I'm sure it will continue, and I really enjoy listening and, and immersing ourselves in any type of the content. Um, you know, that's just what everybody loves to do. So I learned so much from that. Things that I never even knew I would have known. So yeah, so I really appreciate you Perfect. putting your time into that, mate. It's been great for the sport and great for for all of your friends around. Oh, cheers, buddy. I appreciate that so much. And everybody for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can find all the show notes, timestamps, links and coupon codes and everything at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.